And I don't want a pickle, just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode 113. Wow, 113. I, I've said it before, I never thought we'd get this fucking far. All right. So now that we've started with an F-bomb, I'm your host, MotoGP. With me is your other host, Swiggy. Yo. Manning the board is intern Jackson. You are so fucking lucky you still have a job. No eye contact. None. Jeez. Jeez. (sighs) Okay. All right. (laughs) So, all right. Uh, Jackson is more than six feet away, but he's also in a glass booth. And you know what? I put up trash bags over the glass because he can't stop fucking looking at us. All right. Now. We had uh, yeah mixed results on weather this week here in northern Colorado, so I'll say we got half of one of our 300 days of sunshine that we get every year here in northern Colorado today, and it's been up and down, but you know what? It doesn't matter. We're still going to talk about motorcycle things, so let's talk bikes. Table of contents for this episode. We're going to start with uh, we're going to start with some really good corrections and omissions. Well, I think we do have a couple of um, we do have some quarantine tips for you. Oh yeah, we'll we'll do that a little uh, in the middle there as well. We're also going to do an interview with Austin Austin Rothbard of Twisted Road, and that was a really good interview. I feel it's one of the best we've ever done, actually. So stay tuned for that. Lots of hot insurance talk. Lots of hot insurance talk. I think that's going to be the name of the episode. Just hot insurance talk. <laughs> Solid. And then um, after that, we've got some great emails that bring up some really great discussion topics as well. So for this one, we didn't even need a sort of overarching topic to discuss. We just got filled up with other motorcycle things to talk about. So uh, do you, do you have our corrections and omissions brought up yet? That's a silly question. Of course I don't. Okay, I'll fill some time. Uh, I am really Why are you happy. filling time? It's a podcast. I know, but I want to do as little editing as possible. So I'm really happy with the corrections and omissions that we're getting now. They're starting to come in more regularly. And this is really great for the show. Wait, did we do the SR400 email? The, he sent two. Okay, so we did the first one. Okay, right. yeah, yeah. So the first correction and or the first correction came from Brian Honeycutt, who corrected me saying that the VTX Fury or Interstate, whatever flavor they make it in, the Honda Fury from last week's episode as one of their weird and wonderful things in their lineup is not an 1800. There was a VTX 1800, which is what I was thinking of, but... The Fury is based off the VTX 1300, which further supports our theory that that's a motorcycle that's only made to be chopped up. 
because it would make no sense to put the larger motor in when everyone's just going to replace it with an SNS motor anyway, and no one really cares about the performance of those kinds of bikes anyway. We'll also only give it two inches of ground clearance. Well, yeah, I'm just, yeah, the, the 1300's powerful enough for that kind of bike, but for appearances, for whatever, they everyone just throws a two liter SNS on it. Yeah. So, and also before you send an email, I do know that they have the, um, the, the whole sleeper suspension where it lowers down when it's stopped and raises up when you actually try to ride it. I know. <laughs> anyway, we should also point out that we already did the interview with Austin whilst we're recording this. So we're already each like six beers down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What was the other, uh, the other corrections that we got? Uh, or just aggressive counterpoints well there was one that uh, corrected me also imagine that the Suzuki baby katana that was turbocharged that I was talking about was not a 650 V twin it was a 650 inline 4 oh that totally got past me yeah Uh, so the VN85 was not a V twin I thought it was for some reason I don't know why I thought that, but they also, in that email, they uh, made a point about the, the, the XP 550 vision and gave a bunch of reasons why it wasn't a success and all these reasons that Yamaha cut it, but it kind of added up in a little way supporting my idea like i understand the the uh the 650 i think um, the main the main turbo cx the cx the honda cx 650 turbo was a faster and on paper better bike but the whole point i made from beginning talking about the vision was they were trying to do a sort of honda thing and go look everyone's making a mid-size v-twin because it was sort of chicken tax ish era right so these turbo bikes came came around to try to get 750 to one liter power out of bikes that were less than you know 700 or below displacements but the x the 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 550 yamaha played a different game it went for the sort of well let's do a milder gentleman's sort of version rather than a rip roaring turbo 80s thing yeah and the the primary complaint brought up was the carburetors I did read that there were that it had carburetor problems, but it like but like that's not an insurmountable problem. Right. I mean, it's legitimate with the product they brought to market, but is that really the the whole thing that killed the model? Uh, I mean, yeah, that well, could have been fixed. Well, I mean, it could have killed the model if they just weren't invested in it, which it seems like they weren't. But that wasn't an insurmountable problem for, about to say, the vision, um, for what they wanted the bike to do and what place yes, they wanted the to vision have. of the vision. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Yamaha didn't commit, Yamaha didn't have the marketing strategies in place to let people know what the bike was versus its competition right or to let people know that it's competition it really wasn't playing the same game yeah and if otherwise they were just going for raw power it would have been a 699 cc motor right 
Right. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's an example of Yamaha trying to do a very Honda sort of game and completely failing at it. Yeah. I was almost a little too nice to the bike. What I should have said was Yamaha wants to do a Honda move and this is how they enter the market. It doesn't do any of its own marketing. Therefore, Yamaha wasn't able to compensate with extra marketing, right? A lot of Honda's bikes almost market themselves because Honda's so good at it. Take the new Africa Twin. I mean, just the paintwork lets you, and, and the body styling lets you know what it's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's kind of one of the things where it's like, you know, if I walk into the Honda engineering de- or the Yamaha engineering department, it's going to be like, look, not a single one of you has a pocket protector. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> okay. So um, I think that does it for uh, corrections, emissions, and things for this Actually, week, now but- that I think about it, oh. do you think we have listeners who might not even know what a pocket protector is? It's possible, but I think our listenership skews towards the late 30s to early 50s range from the data I've seen. I think we're safe. Okay. Google it. There you go. <laughs> All right. Are we ready you know to what? get to best worst? Bike? Yeah, we have been stalling at this point and we've already got a long episode. Yeah. So let's keep it moving. Let's do it. All right. So now it's time for best worst bike in the world this week. I'm going to shorten the disclaimer. So here's how it goes. Each week we each pick two different motorcycles. One is going to be the best bike in the world this week. And the other is going to be the worst bike in the world this week. We each pick one every week and we alternate who has which. Now, don't get your panties in a bind. It's just a fun way to look at two different motorcycles you might not normally take a second look at or even a first look at, as it turns out, with some of these things. Now, if you have a problem with that, send us an email to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. And remember, there's no crying in motorcycles, as Liza always says. I don't think she said it for a long time, but she's the first person I ever heard say it. So there we go. Now. Oh, shit. Okay, Swiggy, you have worst bike in the world this week. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Are you ready to reveal it? I am. And the worst bike in the world this week is? The 1965 Ducati Sebring. This bike is gorgeous. You say that, but that's not really the point. I know. It's just my first. I always tell you my first thought when you show me the picture. So. I mean, if you put this alongside a black bomber, you'd be thoroughly disappointed with it. Uh, But the important thing so where to begin okay so if you go through the history of ducati and really when we think about the golden age of ducati it's really from the late 80s onward oh yeah 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 the uh the 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 851 through the 888 that's where it starts for me right now there's a sweet one for sale here in denver in 1990 for like seven grand and i'm so <laughs> fucking tempted to buy it oh, that's tricky 
It's really tricky. It's a free motorcycle. It's 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 cheap because it's been repainted. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay. Anyway, so we've had some early. We've had. I, I think we've had one early Ducati as the best bike in the world. Besides yeah. this, and well, there's the same motor as this. I think. Uh well, this is the 350. Yeah. Oh well, it might be actually yes. So. This is where it gets a little bit interesting because this one has all the 1950s technology in it instead of the one I did, which was actually advanced for the time. Uh, no, not so much. So, okay, so you've really got to look at where Ducati came from and where they've gotten to, which is they started off as a radio company. Right. That then got converted to the war effort during World War II, got bombed into oblivion by the Allies, had to rebuild and re-innovate and innovate, and became a motorcycle company, which I think, as British citizens, we can take full credit for. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Something that's really not kind of just in the general public consciousness is that Ducati started off with all singles before they went to the L-Twin model that they're so well known for today. And that was just super common all over the continent and Britain. Right. Now, you know, a few years before this bike, they had... 200cc singles making 18 horsepower that revved up to seven and a half thousand rpm that weighed you know 250 pounds and were super competitive race bikes they were very premium they had all these different things going for them this bike when it was released was their first 350cc motor and it was their largest motor at the time. After all of the other things they had done and all the different performance characteristics they had hit as race bikes, this bike was 20 horsepower. Like, it doesn't even measure up to a CB350. Well, right. This is like, so this is just the more common this is this is the 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 GT version of the Ducati 350 that I said was best bike in the world. This is going to probably be a different you know cam this profile. Bike, this one's going to be a little less mar- compression. As, what class of motorcycle do you think this was? Touring. Yes. Yeah. I didn't think you would get that right. But yes, yeah, this is the spec down boring version of the one that I said was so great. Because it was a great little Ducati 350 that was super hot for even the the same displacement twin bikes that the Brits were putting out at the time. But this is like, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you go for the fast one? Why would you go for this lame version? Well, yes, but also it's kind of weird to name this spec down touring style bike after a racetrack. 
Like, well, a racetrack and a race. I mean, Sebring was always, has always been, as far as I know, synonymous with endurance races. Mm-hmm. So that ta- that that the name there gives me the touring angle because it implies distance rather than okay. speed. And a lot of endurance races have always embraced touring cars like Le Mans versus like prototype racers mm-hmm. like like uh like like um Grand Prix racing does. So endurance racing is more like let's take your stock bikes and see how they really match up, how how everything really stacks up at the end of the day. Right. Which is a very nerdy kind of racing, really, when you look at it. And, you know, to, yeah, I, but when the, when, the, when, when, when the hot version of this was so good, and the ultimate reliability of them was pretty much the same. Why would you get the neutered version? Right. Well, not only that, but this was released as the first 350 when they were primarily producing 200cc right. bikes. But it only took two years for them to then bump it up to 450cc's. Yeah, because, you know, you can't be producing these hot bikes that are 200 cc's at the time when the Vincent Black Shadow is coming out at one liter. Yeah, we think of the Speed Wars as a very late 90s sort of thing amongst the Japanese manufacturers. But the truth is, is that as soon as everyone after the war got a real good footing and started getting a customer base... The Speed Wars really started in like 1950s, like late 50s. And you all of a sudden had a group of established manufacturers now getting close to a decade of building under their belts. And every year was bigger and better than the last. Always. And better right. and fa- and and it was almost like reliability be damned because we're just we're we just keep building. We're well, just going to keep making them. How quickly it was ramping up when you have to think about, you know, in like 1947, the first of a brand new era of 30cc two-stroke mopeds were coming out. Yeah. And then, you know, 12 years later, we've got one liter, 65 horsepower motorcycles coming out. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So... There was a sort of special brand of late 60s. I mean, you know, in different countries and different places, like while this came out, this is right before the CB750. Right. Why are you going for a neutered version of a 350 Ducati? Exactly. It makes no sense because the, the market was, the market had not, even though it may have seemed like Ducati, uh, motorcycles were something that was already 50 years old or more than that 70 years old they must have mistakenly thought oh we we can make a sort of mature this is this is the 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 mid 60s version of a mature ride but the era <laughs> of the mature ride had not come right right well i mean the other thing to point out is 
Okay, if you want to buy one of these in like near concourse condition, how much would you expect to pay? Ooh. Um just because it's fucking weird. I'm gonna guess these are somewhere around twenty grand. Like concourse, concourse. Twenty grand. You think yes. it's no, no, I'm not no oh, I'm wrong? No, you're wrong. Like $2,500. Are you fucking kidding me? They've been forgotten by history that I thought they, I thought this would be something you could show up to the quail with because it's so forgotten. No, this is so forgotten that it hasn't even come out the other side. It just got lost in the machine. Okay. No, this is, yeah, this is um, our generation's equivalent of. What's the Nash Rambler? This is like too old to sail the seas, too young to go into space. Like within that 60s Uh, generation. Okay. Because there are so many much cooler 200cc race bikes with race wins that are championship bikes. And then just two years after it came out, there are 450cc bikes that excelled. This was lost in the mill of that single cylinder generation. So it's actually a cool buy because if you just want something to put around town, it is beautiful. It is, but it's. It's because um, in the context of now where it being so outdated, it doesn't matter where it stacked up originally. That 18 horsepower will propel you around town at 35 miles an hour comfortably all day. Well, this is 20, but no, the 200s were oh, right. 18. Right. This is a 350. That's 20. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's I mean, it does have some some of that character and it. It's interesting. How much could have those cams cost to just give this the like the the like the thirty one horsepower, if I'm remembering correctly, that the other one had? Like how much? Like really? Well, it because this is dual overhead cam. This is the same engine. Ah, uh, I is it? Of course, and it's Desmo as well. It's the first Ducati Desmo. No, it's not Desmo. Desmo. It's not? No, this is a two-valve, bevel-driven single. So oh, so, so I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, the one that I did was the first Ducati Desmo. So this is the bevel-driven cheaper. Okay, so it's all in the head. That explains the, the lack of power. So this right. is, that's why it was cheaper. Right, but they already had a 200cc version of this motor with all the same general characteristics that revved 1,500 uh, RPMs higher that only made two less horsepower because they've gone for this weird profile that didn't really make a lot of sense for what Ducati was doing, especially when you consider how small of a company Ducati was at the time. Yeah, it's such a rare case of Ducati having the worst bike in the category. 
Like, could you imagine the genuine scooter company saying, you know what? 2021, we're going to make a 1200cc sport touring bike. Like, that's kind of what this bike was. When you consider the size and the prestige of the company at the time, like, this is... It's so... It's not only ambitious, but it missed the mark of what people wanted. To the point that history has forgotten it. Yeah. And when there was something right next to it in the lineup that was so desirable. Right. I mean, they made um, 350 Scramblers like a couple years after this. That could hit 112 miles an hour. Allegedly. Right. This is- well, I think that was back when they were all cheating by going with what the fastest conceivable speed was by the uh, oh by the, the gear, gear ratio. ratio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Top speed were uh, was measured in what was capable by how fast the edge you could spin if you put rockets on it. Well, I mean, to put it another way, like okay, here's how you know that a bike absolutely does not live up to expectations which is if a moto journalist starts praising the rear brake like <laughs> that's so true <laughs> you know there is there is nothing else to talk about like it's just, it's over <laughs> that that sews it all up right there i cannot come up with anything to add after that i think we have to go for for best bike now yeah let's move on okay all right so ducati 350 sebring worst bike in the world this week but still better than a car okay you ready for best bike i love this let's go okay and the best bike in the world this week is The 1984 to 2001 Honda CR500 or CR500R. The 89 to 2001 are kind of better, but they're all 100% bad fucking ass. Holy crap. This is the best bike in the world this week because I've ridden a lot of bikes. I've ridden a lot of fast bikes. I've ridden leader bikes. I've ridden 600s modded up to the hilt. I have ridden Boosas. I have ridden a lot of fucking fast shit. This motorcycle scares the living shit out of me. This is an untamable beast of which only the bravest of individuals dare to dance with. Right? Okay. This is the biggest and the baddest of a breed of motorcycle, which couldn't even exist anymore because you know what? We can't fucking handle it anymore. Okay. So dirt bikes kind of had a golden age, which was the mid eighties to about 2000, 2003, somewhere in there. And this was when, two strokes became refined 
and even Honda, the kings of four-stroke, knew that they had to do something two-stroke to really compete. You know, in, in GP, after the failure of the the NR, right, and all of that, like Honda had to sort of regroup and go, okay, we can do something in this in this ring because we really have no other choice we can't not compete have a competitive works race bike in off-road we can't do it and we we have to go two-stroke for this and there's no way around it so honda developed this bike and it is a bad mofo this is as far as i'm aware of the 89 to 2001 where Honda ProLink suspension comes from. Okay. I'm not, there may be some, this is a great opportunity for someone to research something I didn't have time to do, but if there's ProLink suspension pre Honda CR 500, I really want to know about it. And ProLink suspension is really difficult to explain. If you see a picture of how it works, it becomes very obvious. And it's something used in road racing and off-road. It's wonderful, but basically there's an... I'm not even going to try it in words. Just Google how it works. I'll put a link in the show notes of a description of Honda ProLink suspension because it really is a wonderful thing. So what we're talking about in the CR500 is a 500cc single-cylinder two-stroke dirt bike making 67 horsepower okay the newest the latest and greatest like honda crf 450 right now only makes like one horsepower or two horsepower more apparently this is and the power just kicks in in this thing in a way that whenever you find any kind of article on this bike People have nothing but reverence. Like in the way that people have only ever had reverence before for like violent gods. You know, like for a bull that took one of your testicles. Yes. I for for like like the kind of like old world South American god that took your family and then you devoted your life to it. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know? It's just one of those things. Yeah. Like I I and it's weird because it's it's also it's it's this strange thing because like it's it's almost as if you gave you took like a something like a KLR six fifty, because it's that kind of size. It's a big bike. And you just gave it ridiculous power. And and also it's an unkillable thing. It's also the sturdiest hammer. It's weird. It is a blunt instrument of mass destruction. And there was no other bike that measured up to it. Kawasaki, Suzuki, Husqvarna. I mean, everyone had a big 500 and none of them even came close because the closest competition could all get close to it in maybe horsepower or maybe weight or whatever, or torque. But this one actually is the top in every single category. 
at once. And there are others that will kind of get close to it in other categories. And like, you know, the Kawasaki's version of their 500 is still a very much feared and respected bike, right? But in the pantheon of old world two-stroke gods, this is Zeus. And he doesn't give a fuck. He is not a benevolent ruler. He does and fucks who he likes. And that is why the Honda CR500R is the best bike in the world this week. These still command ridiculous prices. Get an old fucked out one with scratched up plastics and the labels all peeling off and whatever. You're still going to spend five to eight grand. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Ooh. for, For one that's just running and you can just use? Yeah. It could be ugly as fuck. It doesn't matter. If it's mechanically sound, people want these because you just can't get something like this anymore. Weirdly, the older ones that have a little bit less performance command a little bit more money, but I kind of get it because they have that old um, big red trike look to them with the blue seat and the red tank, and they look really awesome. Uh, Let me see. Yeah, you've got a picture of it on the big screen there. Two pictures down and two from the left. Oh, yeah. The the red, yellow, blue. Yeah. I mean, how cool is that? It's pretty sweet. I Oh, this is an older one. This one. No, they had ProLink from the beginning in 84 or 86. Maybe 86 is when they started the ProLink. I don't think it was from the very beginning. I could be wrong there, though. But yeah, it's it's a bad mofo. I'm not even going to start talking about the wins that this bike has. Like, it just won everything. Like, a 500 two-stroke single is an insane proposition. Just from a rider skill perspective. Yeah. To hit a power band on a 500 single two-stroke actually get the power out of it either you're going to be out of the power or you're suddenly going to hit it by mistake and all the power is going to come on at once it's kind of a ridiculous thing that that requires this is the meanest horse in the west many have tried to break it and only a few succeeded yeah and i I would imagine a lot of our listeners... This is the one they call the brute. Right. Marty Robinson reference. (laughs) You know, and if you've ridden something like a CT-175 or a DT-100 or something similar, kind of in that category of two-stroke, you're kind of aware of where the power comes on and just how suddenly within the rev range all the horsepower comes all at once. But when you take that same style of bike and you triple the horsepower and drop the weight 50 pounds, like, it gets intense pretty quickly. Yeah, and let's talk about some... quote me on those numbers. Let's talk about some of these numbers here. What do you think the dry weight is on this? Oh, well, it's a two-stroke, and it's got 
a suggestion of a frame. I'm going to say 240 pounds. 222. <laughs> okay. Uh, we talked about the 67 peak horsepower. I but everything is good on this. What what do you think the ground clearance is? Uh, uh well, those are 18. I'm gonna say 11 inches. Depending on setup, 13 to 13 and a half. Okay. I, the seat height is an almost incomprehensible 38 inches high. <laughs> right i mean it's just awesome like it 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 is it is this is like this is a machine so uncompromised that just doesn't give a shit it makes no suggestion to being rider friendly in any way whatsoever okay (laughs) what do you think the torque is Uh, well, it is a two-stroke, so it's going to be a, a bit lower. Um, oh, this is a hard one. Wait, what was the horsepower? Uh, peak is at 67. 66, 67. It depends on who you're talking to. 60, I'm going to say 35. Uh, so we got to do some math here. It's about 75 Newton meters, which is... Have you heard of this sweet little tool called Google? I know, but I've been drinking and I forgot to bring up the page with the other specs on it. Um... The the crazy thing about this is, though, is the, the first generation from 84... Uh, uh, to like 88 was totally air cooled. And then they made a liquid cooled version of it, which went to like 2001. Okay. That no, there is no way that what you've given me is correct. What? There's no way it's 55 foot pounds. It, it, I'm telling you that at the crank, this is supposed to make about 75 Newton meters of torque. It's a 500 single with a long stroke. The, the, the bore and, uh, no, actually, no, no, it's, it's a larger bore, but it's still a 79 millimeter stroke with a 79 millimeter stroke. I can believe it. Some part of the math here isn't working out. It's because you're used to doing this with four stroke motors and this is a two stroke motor. There's twice the power. So look, the environment suffered a lot for these numbers. <laughs> all right. Instead of Bothans, we were just killing the ozone to get this. Okay. That's how it all makes sense. Okay. And then later on to get, I mean, cause the earlier version made like 70 Newton meters, but the water cooled version made 75. So a water-cooled two-stroke, I can believe, made that at, at the very peak RPM, which was like 6,000. It makes like peak torque at the peak RPM. I don't know. Ask the water buffalo. Well, <laughs> the, well, again, this was meant to have like top-end rebuilds every like 6,000 miles because it just is uncompromised. The water buffalo was meant to do it across the country. 
So it made a lot of concessions. It's meant to. It's not <laughs> yeah. sure. Did it ever <laughs> achieve it? Probably yeah. not. But I'm just telling you, this this bike is just a bad motherfucker that takes no fucking prisoners. The numbers seem impossible. And why do they seem impossible? Because it's the only bike that was able to pull this shit off. Everyone else tried, tried their hardest. But I, th- I think the reason this bike is so awesome is that Honda was so pissed that they had to compete in two strokes that they just doubled down their <laughs> efforts. I see no other explanation. Do you? No. Right? Like, Honda almost made this bike so awesome out of spite. Like, it was forged a fire and hatred. Right? <laughs> and it scares the living shit out of me. I don't know that I could tame this beast. I think I'm I'm pretty decent. But when you look at torque and horsepower like dynographs of this thing it's just like it just it just comes on it's just an on off switch of stupid power on the dirt okay so if the horsepower and the torque are what you're saying they are at the crank then because keep in mind this is dirt there's a lot of rear wheel slipping yeah yeah then Absolutely. I can imagine this just being an uncontrollable monster. It's probably even more scary on the street than in the dirt. Yeah, Yeah, because... Like, every review of it starts with, like, prepare yourself. This thing's a fucking buttload of responsibility. Like, with great power. You know what? No, this is better than great power. This is just... This is the definition. Like, just walk away. Walk away. Yeah. This is... um, I'm trying to think of... This is almost kind of like... um, This is like the legendary weapon in an RPG. Yeah. Where, like, if you're not skilled enough, you'll hurt yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be a certain level or else using it is instant death. Yeah. Yeah. That is exactly what it's like. It's just stupidly powerful. And anyone that knows anything about riding off-road will tell you, yes, it's just a ridiculous be- it is the Hayabusa of dirt. Mm-hmm. And and to this day it is still feared and respected more than any 450 super super um off-road bike these days. More than any 454 stroke. Yes. Yeah. Well. I mean, they've engineered the four strokes to be very competitive with these, but not quite. Like, the four stroke technology still hasn't quite caught up to these. If you took an old school rider and gave them their youth back and put them up against the best 450s today, it'd be an interesting race. Be a very interesting race. I mean, it. It's. I mean, it's so awesome. I mean, it was basically just made illegal. Yeah. Well, I mean, man was not meant to have this kind of power. I can imagine if you did an exhibition 
race, you know, across a, a modern dirt track on one of these, the audience would just get high off the fumes of whatever you had to, whatever fuel you had to put through this bike. Oh, I bet you could drive like a Ford F-150 2,000 miles and not produce the amount of pollution that this does in a 20-minute race. This bike requires ultra-high sulfur. Like, you kind <laughs> of have to be Ted Nugent to be morally okay with riding it because of how polluting it is. That's, yeah. <laughs> and, and like I said, it's just so... If you ride this around an indoor flat track, the entire audience is just is just getting high off of yeah everyone becomes like one one hundredth of a percent dumber from everything they've inhaled (laughs) (laughs) during the race but you know what it's such a sight that it's worth it right and and that that sums up this bike for me it's just so stupid i love it i and and again like if I think of bikes that scare the shit out of me, right? I mean, at this point, we're really talking about something, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we'd, we'd have to go to, like, Z1RTC levels of sketchiness, right? Yeah. Just the power comes in super hard and unpredictably for new riders. It's a lot of power for off-road. Yeah, at this point, and with it's, that pro-link suspension, point, you'd think that's a that's something like a modicum of hint towards safety. No, that only helps the power deliver more, right? Yeah, it's it's either four-stroke turbos, or you know, it, yeah, it's it's either turbos or high-torque two-strokes that are really kind of the scary bikes yeah and then it's just it's it's just like it's so high and it's so it's so many different things that i'm not used to i i would really think fucking twice about getting on one of these so yeah i fear and respect it like an old world god like a norse god so there we go it's ridiculously light it's overly powerful it's there i mean i don't know how many collarbones were broken on these but it's a number too high to count so okay i think that uh sums it up so let's put a little break in here and then we'll come in with our interview with austin All right, let's put that in. So, all right, now we're introducing to the show our guest this week, Austin Rothbard from Twisted Road. Say hello, Austin. Austin, are you there? I am now. I didn't hear you. Oh, okay. So, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, you, okay. you contact us and you said you've got a whole bunch of new exciting stuff about Twisted Road. And right, obviously right. you've got, well, not obviously, but obviously to us, you've got a, a new website or a site that's much more um, 
updated from the last time I looked and you've got some new features, a referral program. Do you want to just uh, run through some of that at the beginning here? Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to give you guys an overview, but before I do, why don't I back up and just give a quick overview on who we are? Because although we've been doing this for almost three years, there's still a lot of people who don't know what we do. That's true. So I started the company a few years ago, and basically we're a motorcycle rental organization. Uh, We're all over the U.S. Uh, The thing that makes us different is all the motorcycles are privately owned. So if people have a motorcycle that's sitting in their garage and they want to make some extra money, they would put it on our site. We would then find riders to rent that bike, and then we would take care of all the insurance and make sure if anything happened that the owner was covered. So that's the gist of the company. We've been doing it. We've been live now for two and a half years. Seems like you know. It seems like I just started it. Yeah, it's. I became aware of it probably about a year and a half ago. I want to say. And yeah, time I, flies. I want to say it was about the time you were kind of bragging that you'd just grown to like a thousand bikes or something like that, or right. somewhere around right. there. And it was, it's kind of the perfect time because as people are buying or we're starting to really buy into the idea of Airbnb and loads of other sort of shared economy sort of ideas. And now that this idea has sat with everyone for a while, I think everyone's much cooler with it. Everyone just needed time to sort of get used to it. Cause I'll admit yeah. myself about a year ago, I was like, uh, this sounds like a great idea for other people, but maybe totally. not me, totally. but, you know, now like a year later, a year and a half later, I've got a second bike. I got two great working bikes and I'm kind of looking at them both. Like, you know, they're both depreciated in value. Like if, if one of them, you know, was wrecked, I wouldn't be weeks without riding or anything. Uh, right. You know, I could, and let's face it, it's probably, you know, it's unlikely that someone's going to wreck my bike anyway. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm sort of getting to that point where I'm sort of emotionally feeling like I could list a bike. Well, I'm going to, I'll tell you, you know, that there's no risk, zero in listing a bike because let's face it, if it doesn't get rented, you know, for whatever reason, people aren't in the area of Colorado where you are and want your particular bike, you haven't lost anything. And if it does get rented and you have to use it or it's in the shop, whatever, you could just decline it. You're always in control. And so then you, you're already a few steps down, which is if it gets rented and you approve it and they come and something happens to it, we cover everything. So as far as damage, we cover our insurance backs it during the time that it's being rented. So, you know, it's all in your hands. Now, I want you to talk about that part some more because we were talking on the phone the other day and you were talking about how your insurance coverage has expanded on this. And I think you might be burying the lead a little bit. Let me let me talk about the two pieces of the insurance uh, that we've got. The first is every single owner is covered for damage on their bike and and it can be a maximum of twenty five thousand dollars of coverage we'll cover Uh, the other thing is on a liability standpoint now we give every single owner we provide a million dollars of liability insurance to the owners as well and a lot of people don't know what that means but let's just get 
think the worst case scenario, someone goes down or they have a bad experience and they decide that they're going to get a lawyer and they sue everybody. Well, owners are now covered for up to a million dollars of liability to protect themselves in case of a lawsuit. And we give that to every owner on the site. Right. So that means if your bike gets rented, not only is it insured, it's probably better insured than you have it insured by yourself already anyway. It could be. Yeah, it's it's likely it is. That's right. Right. The, it's it, there's I I've been thinking all day of a sexy way to say that, right? It's, <laughs> it's hard to advertise insurance, right? But Right. Right, it's hard to advertise when insurance. People think about the risk that they're putting their bike into in in a certain light, it's almost better in your hands than it is the owners. We we you know, it it's um it's interesting you say that because it's hard to make it sound sexy, and yet it is the first question that everybody asks when I tell them what I do. Anybody, they don't even have to be a rider. The first thing, hey, you know, we run a motorcycle rental platform, uh, but all the bikes are privately owned, sort of like Airbnb. First thing people say, what about insurance? It's the first thing that they say. And it's not really about insurance. You know, the, of course, they want to know what the insurance is, but what they're really saying is, can I trust you with my motorcycle? It, it, it all comes down to, can I trust you with my bike? That if something happens, you'll take care of it. And our language for that in today's society is insurance. But right. there's so many metrics we have that show that you could trust us. Well, what's really great about this is because it's coming from your end and it's this collective policy through the business, this is kind of the best insurance you could ever get. Because there's a lot of people out there who have insurance on all their vehicles and they pay that insurance or even for like business insurance for it, for any number of different reasons. And they have that policy either because they have to, they have to have it or because they think they might get something out of it. But then once they have to claim it, there's always this question of, are they going to pay out? How much are they going to pay out? Is it all going to work out? This is kind of almost for the renter the best insurance you're going to get that you also don't have to pay for. Yeah. You almost want to, you know, the, maybe the, the angle is our insurance is better than yours. Yeah. You know, I, I, I haven't thought about it that way, but you're right. Now th let's take the other worst case scenario. Someone rents your bike and six blocks later, T bones it into a Ferrari. Yeah. Let, let's say, Maybe the person has to, the, the rider and the driver have to go get a hospital visit. Yeah. Maybe there's some follow-up care, but you know, no one's paralyzed. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the, what's the outcome there for the owner I love, of the bike, the renter yeah. and the Ferrari driver? Yeah, yeah. I love when we start getting into insurance discussions because it's probably one of the hottest topics these days on podcasts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's, this is the way to do it. You go through these scenarios. Okay, so there's something called third-party liability. First answer is everyone's protected. Let's just start. Everybody's protected. You said everyone's protected? Everybody. That's everybody's amazing. Protected. Yeah. So let's start with the Ferrari. Well, we already talked about the bike. We already talked about the owner. The last piece is the third-party property, which is damage to another person or vehicle or property. The rider is covered by that automatically by our insurance company as well. And they have the opportunity to increase that to as much coverage as they want. 
So they have a base legal amount that's required all over the country. Sometimes it's $50,000. Some states have 100000 They can They can increase that to a million. So, you know, the damage they're going to inflict on another piece of property is on a bike is usually pretty low, but they're covered for it. Now, again, the, 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 so that's amazing. So basically what everyone needs to know is that if they enter into a transaction on Twisted Road, if they have a question about insurance, the blanket coverage is the insurance is likely far better than anything you're currently experiencing. You can totally. just sort of blanket say that. It's likely that it's well in excess of what you have already thought was necessary for yourself. Now, yeah. past that, I just kind of want to hear something about if there, if you have any funny stories about – I mean, it must have been insanely complicated to get this set up. I'm trying to imagine approaching a large insurance company and going, here's my idea, and not yeah. getting laughed out of the room. So when, when it took – Two years and over 150 phone calls and meetings with different insurance people to get to what I have. And the reason is, there's two reasons. The first is large insurance companies don't get any financial benefit from insuring a company like ours. We're just, the volume is too low. But even if they decided to insure us and provide the insurance, they have no way of calculating what it would cost. Because insurance companies like predictability um, and they can't calculate the risk that they would take with us because we were too new. So yeah. it, it's in fact, you know, when you start getting into the whole insurance world, there are brokers just like real estate brokers who help sell your home. There are insurance brokers who help place your coverage. When you get into insurance that is not common like this, uh, you have to find a broker. And, um, I fired three brokers in 12 months because they were ineffective in getting, getting us answers. To be fair to them, it's the most unusual insurance situation I've ever heard of. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. It is. It's really hard. So, you know, the beauty of it for them is that it's already out there for cars. It's already out there for boats and RVs. And it was just finding and tapping into those other underwriters. But for whatever reason, they couldn't do it. Yeah. So basically, the the people you have now are special people. Yeah, they're amazing. They're amazing. And not only do they do the insurance, but they also do all of the background checks and motor vehicle and driver's license assessments for us. So when we're going to decide whether somebody gets to ride with us or not, they're doing all that validation for us. Okay. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about, and we'll get to the referral program in a minute, because I know you're excited about that, and that's pretty awesome, too. I want to talk a bit about Twisted Road sort of um, as a company and an identity. You're, I think the last time we had you on, you know, we pointed out that you're very much the face of your own business. You send right. out the emails, you do the email blasts, and it's obvious to me that you're picking the content for those and you're kind of steering the ship in sort of the, the feel of it. Right. Cause right, it's right. all about how people feel. Are people right. comfortable with the idea of renting this? Are people, you know, they, they ultimately have to, as you said, uh, can I trust you with my bike? Right. So that right. it's almost like you've got to create a sort of personality of the company that people can trust. Right. That's exactly right. And that's a tricky thing to do. And I don't think you're getting it wrong mm -hmm. at all, but I've got a couple suggestions. Sure. Now, 
uh, there's a lot of like uh, emails that you send out, and it's obvious to me that you're trying to push an idea of a variety of bikes. Uh, you, I, you know, I get a lot of emails from you where you're like, Hey, check out this cool bike or, yep. you know, check out this cool place or, you know, and, and things like that. Sure. And it's all like so close to the mark. And what I'm thinking is you may not be fully tapping into uh, a resource you have that maybe you don't know that you have. So is it our community, our community a little bit? Yeah. So I, I think. It, um, I know there's some of this and, and the way that your website is updated does some of this already, sure. but I was thinking uh, maybe if you had like a scroll on the site that sort of had the profile of a person that has a bike listed in a location. Cause you do, you do a great job of saying, Hey, here's a, a cool bike that's listed on the site. And you do a great job of saying, here's a place you can ride. But specifically yep. highlighting profiles of of people, like let's say I put on my Superhawk or my Goldwing, yep. and I ride it up to into the mountains, and I take some killer photos of some mountain towns, the bike in yep. them, me, my shed with all my tools where I maintenance the bike, and a couple locations, and I put together six slides. Yeah, and you can just say you can have a scroll that's it's sort of like in, in like six pictures within the amount of information within a Instagram or Facebook profile. It's almost like a little mini travel brochure in and of itself. I love that. idea. And by the time you that. see three or four of those go by the banner on the website, you're like, Oh, this website is advertising a thousand mini vacations. Right. You know what I mean? And I love it. And maybe I love it. just a small kickback to every user that does that. Cause you know, last time we talked about, um, you know, there was like a TW 200 in Hawaii, right? Yeah. You get that guy to send you a bunch of bitching pictures of him with a surfboard and that bike on the beach and whatever. And boom, that's an awesome one. I can send you some from Colorado you know, and, you, and you start collecting these little things. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think it's, it's, it's a, like I said, what you're doing is already so close to this. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go the extra step to combine the people, the bikes and the places. Into you're right. You're right. You're, you're, you're right. In fact, let me, let me tell you as close as we get, it's something we're doing now, which is we're surveying every single motorcycle owner in a community. So we're gonna we've talked to everybody that owns a motorcycle on our site in Vegas. We ask them where do they like to go. We ask them what roads they like, uh, what places they like to eat, and then we've been writing content and articles that highlight those and that link back to their motorcycles on Twisted Road, and also link outside to Google Maps, and you can see these places. So it's kind of like hey, if you're going to vegas why wouldn't you listen to the locals in vegas and ride where they ride you're thinking about taking it to a whole next level which is combine that content with a motorcycle and the owner and some more photos to make like almost like a a, a, a super profile and you highlight those well it's, it's sort of like selling a story in yeah. a way mm -hmm. like as an example you know the first real kind of motorcycle day trip I did 
once I got my license was, oh, it was kind of great because I, I still only had my paper license with my motorcycle endorsement. Yeah. And uh, our dad gave uh, gave me his uh, Ducati SS800. Yes, it was a borrowed motorcycle. It's perfect for this context. Right. Right. And I rode right. it, you know, I did a 200 mile round trip taking it from from the inn all the way up to Estes Park and back. Yeah. The only thing I had ever ridden was a TW200. And, right. And then I took a Ducati SS800 up to Estes Park and back. And it was, right. it's probably my most memorable motorcycle experience. But it's a combination of, you know, a motorcycle and a route and a story that all yeah. comes yeah. together. Because you yeah. might just say, well, I could just rent this, you know, X bike, but you know, if you want to get captured. We're not capturing the soul, you know. Right. Exactly. There's, there's a difference yeah. between going on a trip and having an experience and a test ride, essentially. And it's it's very easy for the mind to wander into that, just you know, a test ride or a sample kind of territory. Right. Yeah. It's also great because it's something you can't fake. Right, it's not pe- It's not. It's not influencers on Instagram no, holding bottles no, of water. People. It's real. It's, people. it's real people involved with your business, with real places and real bikes. So right. So I, I say, you know, lean into that. You're so close already. Uh, yeah. And, I love it. And then uh, the other, um, you know, I was thinking like, uh, because if there's if there's a name attached to the bike, because I was thinking, okay, how would I use this service? Like one, I think, okay, I'm about ready where I might let someone rent my bike. But in what situation would I actually think I would rent someone else's bike? And I thought, well, okay, if I was taking a trip that involved shit tons of highway, but also a bunch of twisted road, well, if I wanted to go do Tale of the Dragon. I'd love to ride my Goldwing there, but the Goldwing's not the greatest bike for actually riding the tail of the dragon. Right. So uh or maybe it's great to ride to Nova Scotia or uh California, you know, or whatever on your big Harley Cruiser and then once you get there you rent a sport bike or something that's great for twisty roads for one day to do a different yeah. kind of riding or you ride out to Moab and someone's out there renting, you know, enduros and dirt bikes or whatever. Yeah. Maybe you don't have to have a GS1200, you know, that, that GS1250, you know, that or R1250 GS BMW that does everything. You can have your bike and then just for the one day you need the bike to do something else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you're riding down to uh, Circuit of the Americas on your touring bike, and then you rent a bike to do some track do some some track day stuff, or whatever. I mean, that gets a little bit more complicated. I don't know if I rent a bike to someone to take to the racetrack, but you get the idea. The, yeah, of course, of course. Combining your vacation already to take on another another element by having a second bike that you can just pick up in one place and and leave there. We we uh have had people who have a destination. Let's say you were going to Daytona Bike Week. Now, typically what you would do is you'd fly into Daytona. You know, maybe you fly into Orlando and, and drive an hour to Daytona. 
what people are doing now is they're saying, gosh, why would I even go to, why would I go fly to Daytona? I'm going to fly to Miami. I'm going to rent a bike with Tristan Road. I'm going to ride to Daytona. Or maybe I'll even go and fly into Atlanta and then I can ride down. So they're looking at their trip as renting the motorcycles become now part of the experience in getting there, not just in riding there. Yeah. Okay. And I feel like we've drifted too far from hot insurance talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Honestly, the insurance part of it is the bit that fascinates me the most to be a fly on the wall of you first bringing this idea up to people and just like the blank, like in thousand yard stares that you must've gotten. I, right. It, <laughs> like You want to do what? Right. Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. Because there's, because, um, inherently motorcycles are riskier than cars. And so people just think immediately of, Oh my God, I don't want to be on the tail end of something that's not going to be good. Well, there are definitely lots of examples of people who are definitely overextending their confidence on motorcycles. But I, that's certainly not representative of the community. But again, try explaining that to an actuary. Yeah, you can't. You <laughs> can't. Um, I had one, one insurance company, one of the underwriters, said in one of the calls, he said, you know, you have a picture on one of your, on one of your pages of a motorcycle rider going around a mountain. And I said, yeah. Yeah. He said, I, 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 he, he said, I don't like that picture. He said, it looks too risky to me. You know, what happened? You know, I, I just don't like that picture on the website. Like, uh, uh, what? Are you kidding me? You don't like that I have a picture of a guy riding a motorcycle in the most beautiful places in the country, in the world? What are you talking about? They just, they're living differently than we are. Yeah, it's, it's very strange when you get into the world of, of insurance where it seems there's this very sharp divide between the uh an extremely emotional point of view and then people actually doing the math yeah 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 i i keep trying to think of of again like how you make it sexy like you need like a picture of a hayabusa it says like you couldn't afford the insurance on this until right until now Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> totally. You covered. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hey, here's an interesting question, slightly insurance related. Uh, uh, what is is there? A, what What is the age limit on renting a bike through you guys? Do you, Do you require everyone's twenty one or twenty five? Like rental cars? Yeah, you've got to be. You, you have to. There's. There, you have to be twenty one. Okay. And. Um, if you're between 21 and 25, we just need, you have to give, you have to demonstrate greater amounts of riding experience than if you're older than 25. You just have to be more comfortable on a motorcycle. We just have to see demonstrated experience. That's all. Okay. Well, what does that entail? We ask for their riding history and we do it back. We just do a quick check on, on, on how many years they've been riding. So like how many years they've had their endorsement or something like that? Yeah, yeah, okay. that's exactly what it is. Yeah, well, that, that's that's good enough for me. I 
not many people sit around with an endorsement not writing. In fact, usually right. they start writing well before they have their endorsement. <laughs> right, right. That's exactly right. So uh, yeah. we we our our uh, rates of claims and damage is it's lower than the national average for motorcycles, and I think that's just because we're so careful with who we let ride. Well, I, last time we were talking to you, you told us that you you've got to have a thousand dollars in your checking account, you know, that can freeze, right. that could be frozen. Right. And once you ask everyone to have a thousand dollars of skin in the game, there's a lot of people that will self opt out. And then when you when we've got your credit card for and holding a thousand, you're maybe riding a little safer. Yeah, or at least just not completely idiotically. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> it's right. mitigated somewhat. It's mitigated. It's mitigated. That's right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. If everyone had to just have a thousand dollars on hold to ride their own bikes or cars, whatever, we would see a dr- that would be better than lowering the national speed limit back down to fifty-five. Totally. Totally. Yeah, people so, would just ride differently. Yeah, I mean, if you think of it that way, just being in the situation of renting a bike is because of that thousand dollar hold is probably on average one of the safer traffic situations that exists in general because you know right you rent a you go rent a car from hertz you don't have to put a thousand dollars down no no and we take a greater we take more for our younger riders too like like 1500 or yeah it can vary it can be 1500 it can actually be 2000 oh there's a calculator for it okay uh, okay, that's how insurance works. How, that's how yeah. fucking so, life works. So we'll take we'll just go a little more on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. If you don't want to pay, if you're 21 or 22 and you want to ride a bike through us and you decide you don't want to spend the $2,000 on the credit card hold, it's okay. We, you know, we don't need the, the, we'll only make maybe $30 on the rental, 50 bucks, depending on, you know, we just don't make a lot of money on these bikes. So, we don't need to take that kind of risk. You know, if someone doesn't want to put it down, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see them in a couple of years you know, when they do have the money. Yeah, we'll see them in a couple of years. Yeah. See them in a couple of years. Right. And I think, you know, we, we did spend a lot of time talking about insurance and it seems kind of silly from an excitement perspective, you know, from a promotional angle. But if you're somebody who wants to actually rent yeah. your bike out, it's, a really important thing. It's not sexy, but it's it's, it's knowing that yeah, it's important and it's knowing that no matter, you know, what kind of asshole comes to rent your bike, that you're going to be confident that you're going to be made whole. Now, you're not going to rent out some concourse, you know, piece of history based off of that, you know, any kind of one of a kind thing. But you can rent a classic bike. You could rent, you know, something that's newer or something that's a bit more rare. And then you can build those stories and have the confidence that even if your bike gets totaled in the rare instances that that might happen, that you will be made whole. And it's, you know, this is this is very much mature rider talk. It is. Well, you know, I was saying it took me about a year to come around to this, but I think the final nail in the coffin for me going, okay, I'm 
I am now so much on board with this concept that I could see myself taking part was when we were talking on the phone and you just mentioned the increase in insurance. And I knew that before the insurance situation was adequate, but to know that it goes to this level now, unless it's like your father or grandfather's bike that they bequeath to you that is irreplaceable because of sentimental value outside of Of that. Of course, and, you know, then there's no reason that there really is any risk for you as the as the owner, because you're everything, you know, they can the, the someone can pick it up, go six blocks and run into a Ferrari and it's all going to be OK. Here's how I look at it. There's nothing stopping anyone from renting their motorcycle out without us. Go on Craigslist, put an ad up, say, I'll rent my motorcycle for 50 bucks a day, 100 bucks a day whatever you want not there's no law against that go do it right but what we pro- provide is all of the risk protection we have yeah. a credit card hold we do background checks we have the insurance in place we have all their experience their riding histories we've reviews we're basically taking all the risks so that if you want to put it on craigslist instead or facebook and rent it that way there's there's 50 things you're going to worry about you're going to worry about someone coming and taking off and never coming home you don't have to worry about that with us right well, and then also, uh, it, it's like it involves like no work on your part, right? Someone puts in a bid that says, "Hey, I want to rent your bike," and you get like their profile information. They come over and look at it, and they can't take off with the bike until you go back to the website and click "Yes, I'm okay with it," and then money just goes into your checking account, right? Like it's yeah, it's like yeah. you don't. There's no heavy lifting. Well, let, let's go to the extreme example, which is maybe you've got a bike that you can't even sell and you just want to get paid. You know, yep. you guys have already done the risk calculation. You've put the barriers in place and you've got the the pooled, you know, fantastic insurance policy. Yep. You know, you could just rent your bike out and just hope that the guy who rented it totals it. let's not give anyone ideas to to commit insurance fraud all right by the way it is now that is hot insurance talk (laughs) right but you you guys have already you on your end you're already gating who can rent and what their stake is in it so that you're that you know, because you're you are providing the insurance and you're already confident once they've passed all of your filters that there's no reason not for the renter to be confident. Yes, that's exactly right. You you got it. Yeah, I I've gone from the point of thinking this was a cool idea to being sufficiently impressed. I'll tell you, the first person I called when I did this was a mechanic that I used twice uh, to fix my bike. I called the guy up and I said, you know, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about starting a business and here's how it works. And I just want your thoughts. I literally started with the first 10 people I knew in the industry, which wasn't a lot. And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, Austin, I think that might be the stupidest fucking idea I've ever heard of. And so, you know, somewhere in there, you know, there's there's resistance and there's the guard is going up and I don't think it'll work. And if it works, but we've been doing this for two and a half years now. 
you know, we've kind of, I don't want to say we figured it all out, but we're pretty far along the way of figuring out how it works. Well, also, and again, you're, you're the face of this business and right. uh, I've heard you cause I listened to being a motorcycle podcaster. I'll say that we all listen to each other's podcasts. We all know right. each other at right. this point and, and we're right. only, you know, keeping tabs on each other every week. It's just kind of how it works. And I've heard right. you on all the other shows and, you know, a year ago it was very much, okay, here's our concept. Here's our script. Here's our yep. business idea. And at this point, I feel like you've lived with it long enough, you know, like la- like you know, a year and a half ago, you were very much on message. Hey, here's the important beats that everyone needs to know about. Right. This. And, right. and now you've lived with it and you've had to defend every single part of it so much. And everyone's right. asked about insurance a million times and whatever. Right. It's, it's getting a more, um, uh, not that it ever had a corporate feel, but you know, you, you came from the corporate world, and now I've, I did. Like it's, it's really becoming more of of the personality. It's becoming more motorcycly, which is non-political, yeah. which is non yeah. anything, which is non. Yeah. It you, you know the nice thing about motorcycle business is you don't have to try to sell a lifestyle because it's already a lifestyle. That's it. You're right. You're 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 exactly right. You know, you're pretty. You're pretty insightful. But a few of the things you've picked up have been really spot on. And I haven't looked at the business that way uh, before, but you're right. Look, in, in me is 25 years of corporate experience. You can't, you can't wash that off easily. And so when I'm talking, you're right. I'm always, I just, it's just in my DNA to speak a certain way. But now there's like, we've been through it. Look, I had a guy, I had a guy rent a motorcycle in, in Reno and he was going on a ride with a bunch of buddies. And he calls us the next day and he says, I don't think the tires are safe on this. And I said, okay. And he said, and by the way, I'm in a really bad cell service area. I'm in the middle of wherever, somewhere in California. And I'm just going to leave the bike here. What? You leave the bike? No one's leaving the bike. No, no, I'm just going to leave it. I said, you can't leave the bike. And ultimately, you ought to take it to the sheriff's station in town, which, by the way, has one sheriff in it. And when he's not there... All calls go to the dish, that dispatch, which is 45 miles away. And it was there. And now we've got to figure out how do you get a motorcycle back to the owner that's 180 miles away from the guy's house? And it's literally the distance of, from Cleveland to Pittsburgh. And um, well, look, we figured it out. We, we figured it out. The guy was happy. His bike was back. But you start going through, you start getting battle wounds in any industry. And um, you know, the stories are kind of, unique yeah 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 yeah. like uh, yeah i think i think what i said what i was trying to say about you and the business or the personality is um you've come out the other side you know a year and a half ago you're like well you know i i I got into writing like just a few years ago and now i've got this business idea and and now you've got the battle scars like you're here right you know right i'm here someone said to me someone said to me hey how do you do right when you're on the road and i said of course every time i'm traveling i rent a motorcycle if i can how many bikes have you rented she's so i open up I, I next time i go to my computer i pull it up on, on my profile i've rented 16 different motorcycles and so like you're 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 the, the the comment you made was spot on like yeah i had just you know a new rider three years underneath me and now it's like i've had a chance to ride 16 bikes you know the, the bmw r18 that just was launched whatever a week or two ago it was friggin' beautiful 
I know we'll have one of those on our site in 12 months and I'll get to ride it. Like it's a dream job. Yeah. A lot of people ride their whole lives and ride like five bikes. Right. Right. Yeah. We're unlocking that for everyone. Yeah. But no, but I'm just even like saying you yourself, like, you know, like you, you know, there's, there's no need to, uh, to, uh, to, to, there's nothing to live up to anymore. Like, you know, the, the whole idea of starting a new and novel motorcycle business, you know, right now is a big fucking task, you know, uh, like, um, Alex that does the, uh, you know, getting the, uh, the, the helmet brake lights off the ground, you know, with, yeah, with, yeah. with all the shipping issues from China, you know, we're going to, I'm, yeah. I want to get him on again really soon because yeah. you know, his, his battle and his journey with it has been crazy, but yours too. Yeah. The, the idea of selling the public on this, like what a mountain, but I, you know, you're, it, it's come so far. You know, I, I said uh, on last week's episode, you know, I was excited to talk about this one because I very rarely kind of talk about what we're going to talk about the next week from show to show. Right. But, you know, a, a year and a half ago, it was fun to talk about this. Like, oh, an online motorcycle rental from, you know, just owners. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> and, and now here we are. And it's more established right. and it's more respected. And, you know, it's it's more organized it's it's really it's really cool i'm, I'm really happy to see where it is and where it's going well you know you brought up we were talking about insurance and at the time i said listen insurance is all about trust it's not really about insurance the, the thing that has impressed me most about something that happened on, on our site happened about six three uh, in august or so a few months ago we got three uh harley live wires on the site Two in California and one in Florida. And for me, look, I don't, I don't know whether this bike is going to make it or not. I don't know if it's a good decision from Harley or not. But this thing is a brand new bike, less than 500 miles on them, in three locations, privately owned $35,000 bikes. And so what, what I immediately thought was I'm really proud that we've been able to build up such a solid brand and a level of trust where people are trusting us with their babies like this. They're new, they're newborns. Yeah. All right. So I think you're running up pretty close to when you got to get out of here, but we got to yeah. finally get to, I think the big thing you want to talk about the referral program. <laughs> yeah. 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 We just launched this in January and it's kind of cool. So the way it works is any of your listeners can get a free day of riding uh, from our company. And we're, if we use you as the refer, the person who's doing the referring, it's simple. They just they can go when they go to log in for the first time on our site, uh, it'll say, "Do you have a referral code?" And they type in the words "No Komodo," and that's it. All one now, word if, or two words? Well, all one word. All one go. word. And, and and if they've if they've been and they already have an account with us, that's okay too. Go to you go to twistedroad.com slash ref slash No Komodo. And they go to that and they'll be it. And it's the same thing. You have all the information there on what it takes to get your free day. And the free day works like this. The, the, um, as long as you ride more than two days, we knock a, a day off your, off your ride. Rent for three days, you only pay for two. It's really simple. If you only rent for one or two days, we take 25% off the cost of your ride. So either way, it's kind of a, it's kind of a cool deal. The, the 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 
other side of it, which we didn't have a chance to talk about yet, Peter, is for every single person that rents uh, through your per, through your referral code, you you get twenty five dollars in rental credit from us. So you know, ten people rent, you got two hundred fifty bucks, and you can go ride basically any bike we have on the site. So and now, once somebody creates their own username and password on our site, they can tell all their friends. They can go onto a forum. They can post it on Facebook and they get the same benefits. So they're giving away a free day to everybody and everybody who rents through their code, they earn the money. It's, All right. It's really so, so our listeners need to use our referral code and pass it on enough for me to be able <laughs> to rent and ride a Cushman Eagle to Austin and Ben. By November. <laughs> <laughs> By <is> November. <laughs> that's awesome well we're talking about something with a top speed of about 38 miles an hour so awesome. it might awesome. take till november to right. get that many free right. days of rental right and then another six months to get there the gauntlet is thrown for moto gp in november <laughs> swiggy is going to ride a 50 scooter if you yeah. can get us enough days to make it happen right 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 that's funny that's funny but yeah, it's kind of cool. It's a good program. We're going to do it as long as we can. You know, if it gets to the point where it doesn't make sense or we're really breaking the bank, giving away all these free rides, we'll stop it. But there's no intent of stopping it this year at all. Well, you know, I, I um, you know, I'm a restaurant manager, and uh, we do we we you know, it seems so 1950s, but I mean, essentially, what you're doing is couponing, just in a new digital way. And it, it weirdly enough, word of mouth and couponing and all these old sales techniques, they still work because it still right. provides people value and it still provides people a an easier way to try something out, and then you build loyalty and. Right, and now that everyone knows it's it's more trustworthy and 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 um, less risky than ever, uh, yeah, I'm on board. I and I think I, I, think I probably yeah. am going to list like the Super Hawk real soon. Cool, cool, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and and we're finding um, the people who who ride with us love us, and there's two ways we know that. One, they come back, which is a great way of seeing it, and second. After every ride, riders and owners get to rate each other, and then the rider also rates the bike, and 97% of those ratings are five-star. So, Well, if any of our yeah, listeners rent the Superhawk, they better fucking give me five stars. <laughs> I do this oh, show man. for you every fucking week. Like, <laughs> That's the least they can do. It's the least they can do. <laughs> Well, the show's fucking free. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh man. So uh yeah, I think I think I think we've wrapped it up pretty good here. Um yeah, we don't want to I know you got something to get to, so you got a hard out. I do. We'll let you yeah. go. But this has been this thanks. has been a lot of fun. And uh thanks for coming on. And you know, when you get uh new developments, uh hit us up again. I'll let you know. There's a lot planned this year. I can't go into it, but we've got a lot of really cool things. I might be contacting you again in, in just a few months. Cool. Oh, actually, so, uh, before we go, final yeah. uh, possible uh, feature you can do on the site. Can you have a best and worst bike in the world uh, badge on on each bike? <laughs> <laughs> now, now, you're at, now you're pushing it. Now, now you're now pushing, pushing it. it. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, we'll see you. Thank you. Thanks so much again. Bye guys. It was great talking.
Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So last week, we had a return of Swiggy reading the emails drunk. I dare say, I think things might be better this week. Swiggs, we'll find out. Are you ready to read the emails drunk? Mm, no. <laughs> Do you have any emails brought up yet? No. I uh, Some yes, of them? I do. Okay. So Guy is where we left off with last week. Mm-hmm. And I think the next email is actually specifically about listening to the show drunk. No. Oh, no. We got an email before that one? Okay. Yeah. It's about flak track rules. Flak track rules. <laughs> so flak is a audio <laughs> format, which is not what this show is produced with. Flat track rules. Oh, flat track rule. Okay. All right. So <laughs> read that one. Why are you being me? Because <laughs> it's fun. <sighs> All right. So Eric writes to us and he says, guys, the FT rules were bent, parentheses, broken to allow the Indian FTR in the first place. The FTR 750 engine was specifically designed from the ground up to win flat track. It had a giant flywheel that helped smooth out power delivery, improving stability, and so forth. Harley's bike started as a street engine. They were given some leeway last year, an Indian had their injector ports restricted to give the other teams a chance, but nobody else has been allowed to have the giant giant flywheel Indian is still being allowed to run. So they won the championship again last year. Harley must not be paying attention. That's totally wrong. Not even close. Uh, (laughs) Harley's not paying people enough to cheat, basically. Uh, yeah. Harley must not be paying people enough to even the scales, I guess. A closer look at this might be interesting. I was really surprised to hear the street rod as best bike in the world. Interesting choice. I'm always going to disagree about the SR400. I wasn't able to buy one when they were on sale. Bad timing. I'll be getting one as soon as things improve in my personal financial situation, though. A classic bike with fuel injectors and a kickstart. Weird, wonderful, iconoclastic. They didn't make it for us. Well, that's really not helpful. You don't tell us where you're from. He's from Australia. But they did make it for Australia. No, he's saying it's instead of looking at it as a bike that they made for the export market, they kind of gifted us the best of what they were giving Asia. Oh, they didn't make it for us. Meaning the Western market. Well, why is it so expensive for what it is, though? Look, it doesn't matter. Okay, no, he's these saying these are important questions. We answered these questions when we've talked about this bike like in six different episodes over the last two and a half years. What's important is that it was sort of a 
a popular custom build platform in Australia. Because if you're going for the whole, it, like, if you think that, okay, it's possible to build, do a custom build on a CB350 and charge 10 grand for it, well, then why not an SR400, right? Yeah. If you look at it in that bike exif sort of lens, then maybe Try it's desirable. Well, yeah, but maybe it's desirable to some people. And that's what he's saying. In, in his market, it's somewhat desirable. I mean, mm. that's dumb, <laughs> but that's that's just how they see it. And that's fine. That's okay. He wants one because it's sort of a classy kind of ride and it has different things in their culture versus ours where in the, in America, it was largely a joke yeah. in, in a market where people had the means to pick up triumph Bonneville's left and right. Why the SR 400 makes zero sense, right? For less than twice the money, you could have 10 times the performance, right? So, yeah, and he's saying like it, it's a um, a uh, a privilege to be on the SR four hundred assembly line, which I get when you have these like big long legacy assembly lines. They they tend to put the guys over like fifty years old on those, and they tend to be well built and all of that. I, I get that, but the bigger thing I want to talk about in this email is. Haven't we come to a place of peace where, if not outright cheating, but bending the rules and finding ways around the rules in racing is not only just an, an, an inherent part of the sport, but also one of the primary devices by which innovation and engineering is pushed? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this is the whole Indian and 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 uh, Harley Davidson flat track bit that he started the email off with. Well, absolutely. Well, this is something that I don't think a lot of people really appreciate. But when it comes to fuel efficiency and also horsepower, but Primarily fuel efficiency, you can thank racing and its rules for it. Yeah. Because otherwise, we'd all be riding like six liter, eight liter, 18 liter cars and bikes. Right. Because you can always scale up the motors, but ultimately, fuel efficiency and lowering emissions is about getting more miles out of the same amount of gas. Well, more, well, no, not more miles, more bang out of the same amount of fuel. Right, but getting horsepower out of the same volume of gasoline is the same as fuel efficiency. Yes, I agree. Yeah, it, we live in a universe of cause and effects and of entropy. Exactly. And so you put you works. put an engine size limit on a race class. Well, all of a sudden you've got to figure out how to make that engine size make more power. And you do it through efficiency. Yes. Right. Right. 
So ultimately, racing rules have driven technology. Yes. So, you know, the current situation with Indian and Harley is really, really interesting because if you take a sport like MotoGP or Formula One, the rules are crazy tight. They've been developing these rules for a long time. And the margins are tiny, right? Tenths of seconds matter a lot. What's interesting about flat track is it's almost been, well, not almost, it has been frozen in a very 1950s sort of era of technology rules. Yeah. So you can still have total breakout like single innovations that will turn the whole series on its head. So in a way it's more exciting and in a way it's way behind everything else. Yeah. It's interesting talking about the um the flywheel on the motor being this key piece of it because one of the biggest things about electric uh, dirt bikes is the idea that having continuous power delivery is a huge aspect of the efficiency of them and being able to go a lot faster than the gas-powered bikes. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I want to look more into this Harley and Indian rules disparity because I'm so used to reading into the rules and looking at the things Ducati does, like the whole shot device and the salad box and, and all these little things. Because, like I said, the, the way that you cheat or innovate and the, the line between the two is very, very small is on such a minute and subtle level in Formula One and GP that in in flat track, I almost don't understand how to read it, right? Yeah. Uh, I think we could probably do a whole episode, like you, me, and Wiggins, and talk about flat track rules and how the rules are skirted. Because it's it's, a, it's just a whole thing, different though. interpretation of racing that we're used to. Because it's 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 like it's out of the fifties. Yeah, I mean, it, I feel like it would be tricky, just because. Well, we'd be out of our elements, but we can read right. up on it. We're not idiots. We sound right. like it, but we're not. <laughs> yeah, we'd we'd have to do our homework. I can do my homework for a week. We're fine. I I think we should make that episode happen. Okay, next email, because we got so much to go through. Okay, next email is uh, titled Drunk Podcasting. It says, uh, Hello, MotoGP and Swiggy. I just wanted to share with you and your listeners a fun way to listen to your podcast. I know some of your listeners enjoy Swiggy reading emails drunk. While listening to Swiggy introduce the face of God, one of my finer moments. I tumbled my 
Oh, I fumbled my phone, and the podcast ended up playing on half speed. You guys sound absolutely hammered. How dare you? Every now and then, I play your emails on half speed for a laugh. The experience, I recommend episode 103, start playing at 102.15. Let's just do that right now. Uh, Hold on. I've got I've got it brought up right here. Okay, I've got one or two eighteen here at half speed. Let's see what that sounds like. Not good enough. Shockers. Anyway, so <sighs> moving on, Swiggy. Uh, I think you said something about you were gonna show us the face of God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this mode, the motor we're talking about is the Acadies design and this is essentially bringing back the opposing piston engine okay okay i have to uh, pause it there that is gold uh, (laughs) i feel like uh, i I feel like 60 or 70 percent would be really good it's a little exaggerated, and you know, for like the the ten second clip, it's good. But I feel like you could listen to the whole thing at like seventy to eighty percent, and just listen with. Well, there's utter no seventy disgust. or eighty percent option on your iPhone, so. But uh, what an true. astute observation! It's pretty. Thank good. you. Well, th- what 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 this is is whilst we did almost eight weeks of no Swiggy reads the emails drunk, people can go in and artificially drunk up those episodes. It's true. So you can have all your favorite moments that you missed out on back. Thank you. What what was the name of that emailer again? Uh, uh, Eric? If that wasn't a Swiggy reads the email drunk moment, (laughs) I don't know what it is. Jeremy. Jeremy. Okay. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. Solid fucking gold. (laughs) Especially I'm going to show you the face of God. (laughs) It's really good. Okay. uh, Next email. Okay. So this is. Uh, an, an email from serial emailer Phil from Denver who we've met our dude and he says yo dudes I hope you guys are surviving the quarantine and avoiding the Rona I was just on the internet jerking off to moto porno and I came across an old K-series BMW Specifically, the K-75 in the link below. The power plants for the old K-series BMWs were in line 
two, three, and four cylinder horizontal engines. I am not aware of any other bikes that had inline configurations that were oriented horizontally. Inline tr transverse. Inline longitudinal back in the day, but the inline horizontal seems to be something that just didn't work out. What are your thoughts on the old K-Series BMWs? Okay, so Phil, I don't think you're describing it well, well also, enough. The best way to call further, it is inline flat. The Before you go any further, he also signs off with keep fucking the dragon. Oh yes, keep fucking, always fuck the dragon. So, you, yeah, the best way to describe this engine is inline flat. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but even when you take something like the Moto Guzzi engines or, you know, your BMW engines, how do you really, you know, that, that, although you're still going straight back to get the crank to really just fully line up with the shaft drive, it does, right? This engine's the only way to do it. It is. And that's the but, only advantage to this engine is you are getting the crank to line right up with the drive shaft well, for this the is, minimal loss of power for a shaft drive system. So this is. And it's low weight as well. There are advantages. Okay. It's so, not great for weight distribution in terms of balance left and right, but. Well, there, there are lots of different things to keep in mind. And. This is something you have to look at where with every manufacturer, but in particular, Ducati and BMW, which are probably the two biggest, um, what's the word? Dogmatic. Yes. They are the most dogmatic in their area, which is in terms of mechanical signatures. Yes. Well, you can actually, in a similar but not as significant way, throw a Harley Davidson in with the belt drive, and 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 the degree of their V twin as well, yeah, right, and say and air cooling, yeah, and you can say, okay, what do you believe in? What are you absolutely most unwilling to compromise on? And then what do you what what are the features of this particular bike you want to build and how are we going to work around what you consider sacred? And when it came to the K bikes the ridiculous sideshow that you saw was how BMW worked around their dogmatisms. Yeah, it's an in turn for me, the bike gets 10 out of 10 cool points for just BMW going so off off the wall in uncharted territory. That's really cool. Also, but it's unmistakably BMW. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is one of those bikes where <sighs> How do I put it? Um, 
Okay, you know how we've talked before about when old guys get together, they have to go rabble, 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 CB750, rabble, 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 Vincent Black Shadow, blah, 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 Aerial Square 4. CBX, right? Yeah, there's that list. When you get yourself in front of a person that really knows weird bikes, this is one of those cards that you lay down. At a certain point, when you know someone that truly knows weird bikes, yeah, this is one of those careful cards you play to go. Oh, look, in this conversation, you may I you may have thought I was an idiot until now, right? Because <laughs> this is a truly bizarre engine, but it's all it's not a bad platform and it's not a bad engine. It's really not. Now, yes, there's some issues of the bike sitting and oil getting past the rings. It's like on my Goldwing or any Goldwing when it sits on the side stand, you know, it smokes out of one side because oil drips that way. Well, it does that on all the cylinders on this bike. (laughs) They smoke a lot. Uh, But you know what? It's 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 cool. It's it's officially super duper cool, and it's one of those things where you don't even need anyone else to recognize. It's super cool when it's no. It's super cool in hindsight when it's no longer in competition. Yes, when it's a piece of history and it tells a story, it's super awesome. Also, I may be totally wrong on this. This is just going from an interview I heard. I can't, I might be 100% fucking wrong. This is where I want our corrections and emissions segment to really kick in. I want to say that Arch motorcycles are based off a BMW K platform. Like they take K bike frames and modify them to make Arch bikes. Someone research that for me because I want to say that's true. That sounds very strange to me. I know. I just I just want to say I heard Keanu Reeves say that they were based off a K-bike. I could be completely wrong. Well, I, a modern K-bike, which probably does not have a lot to do with the originals. I don't know which. I don't, people will research it for us at this point. We're yeah. getting there. <laughs> All right? We, we're starting yeah. to have minions that will do this for right. us. So... It's. We should go back through um, what I said, pulling at most 30% of this out of my ass. Um, kind of looking at the K-Bike design and the time that it was from and what they were doing and what we think about it. Which is, the K-Bike is a very weird beast because it is built on compromise yes where it seems like such an insane thing when you look at all of the japanese bikes at the time that were doing inline threes and inline fours they put them upright because they were running off of a chain drive and bmw didn't want to do a chain drive not only could they do they not want BMW to do a chain drive. BMW hates chain drive like Honda hates two stroke. Yes. And not only that, but okay. 
So I know we have said this once before, at least on the podcast, but everyone should be reminded that BMW stands for Bavarian Motorworks. And Bavaria is the most landlocked, super ultra orthodox conservative state in all of Germany. Yeah. And they fear change. It is the Oklahoma of Germany. <laughs> yes. I mean, culturally, geographically, <laughs> that they don't want any of this fancy new nonsense. They want nothing to do with it. So the idea of a German motorcycle being manufactured with a chain is just not on the cards. It's for white fucking trash, as far as they're <laughs> concerned. Exactly. Alright, so we're getting pretty close to wrapping this email But up. BMW wanted to also capture the younger market. And you could also see this further with the K1, which was also a disaster. But because they couldn't decide who they wanted to please. And the, the K75 and the K100 suffered the most because they tried to please everybody rather than have a singular vision and focus in the bike they wanted to make. So they put the engine horizontally in order to line up an inline motor in a way that would mesh directly with a shaft drive. And ultimately... Nobody was happy. I respect him for going there, though. I mean, I I would totally own one because I love weird. I I love a freak show. You know Honda built one and just never released it, right? (laughs) So if it's something that Honda doesn't even have the balls to release, like if you have a production frame drive and motor setup that honda has never tried you're a special builder i'm into that freak show yeah in a way just yeah just the rareness of it puts and and by that competition of honda by which all other bikes should always be measured it puts it in a very special place all right next email All right, this is another email from Peter, and he says, Hey there, Swiggy and MotoGP. MotoGP has said a couple of times that Suzuki had a turbo twin in the 80s. Oh, this is our correction from earlier in the episode. Uh, Oh, is it? Yeah. All right. Okay, so Tori says, Thought you might find this intriguing in some way i'm 33 years old as an age for an age reference after several years of owning motorcycles i have become pretty bored with it. i'm the type of person who once i latch on to a hobby i'm all in a little backstory on my previous bikes i hated motorcycles most of my life 
I thought they were just dumb. Then my brother convinced me to take a ride on his Ducati Monster 620. I was hooked. It was... After riding one of our worst bikes as well. Yeah. I was hooked. It was love at first brap. So I sold my retarded drag racing Mustang and bought the first cool looking bike I could find. An 85 Yamaha VMAX. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I kind of guy already. Worst decision for a first bike? Well, I lived and continued to buy and sell bikes for several years. Uh, Suzuki S60. Honda Shadow 1100. First Gen FC1. KDX 200. Best trail bike ever. TTR 225, Suzuki 125 Intruder, DR650 Supermoto. And we'll skip a few because this is going on. And finally, a Honda CBR 1100 XX. Blackbird. Well, last year, my wife was looking for... Well, hold on real quick. I just want to say super cool list of bikes. Lots of variation. Like, we're dealing with someone to be reckoned with here. Absolutely. Well, last year, my wife was looking for cheap transportation for her three-mile commute to work. She had tried her hand at motorcycles and never really got comfortable with shifting. So I found a dirt-cheap, barely-running-trashed Honda Elite 50 scooter. She loves the little thing now that I have spent triple what I paid for it to make it what it is now. And he puts in parentheses, he put a 70cc big bore kit on it and a custom CVT transmission. So he changed the variator. Yeah, I get you. She wants to ride all the time now. Well, riding a big bike alongside a scooter is kind of annoying for obvious reasons. So I said, fuck it. Sold the Blackbird and bought an extremely low mileage Yamaha Zuma 52 stroke. Pause. If we can record in history the number of times that people have said, get this blackbird out of my life. I need a Zuma right now. (laughs) (laughs) This, this is a moment. I am in love with this story. (laughs) I really am. I, I think you could make a romantic comedy out of this story. (laughs) He gave up his Blackbird to ride scooters with his wife. But here's the thing. If you keep reading, it rekindles his love of two wheels. All right, well, let's continue on. So he says, took the extra leftover money from the sale and have bought quite a hooligan toy. I cannot tell you 
how much fun going 75 on a Zuma is than doing 165 on the Blackbird. Oh, on those 10-inch wheels, it must be fucking terrifying. (laughs) In the mountains of East Tennessee, where the speed is... Is... Oh, okay. In the mountains of Tennessee, where the speed is useless, the scooter is plenty capable of getting a knee down. When a guy on a bike blows by me on a straight road, I miss the speed, but don't really feel bad. Hey, it's only 70 cc's. But I can keep up pretty good once the road bends. Oh, and outrunning Groms is hilarious. They get kind of mad. The big 50-50 style tires are really good off-road. As long as you aren't trying to jump logs, it will do the job. And it fits in my truck with my camping gear much better than a trip bike, too. I apologize for the rambly email. I thought it may be a little inspiration for anyone who has kind of ridden everything and become bored. Don't be afraid to give a small bike a go. I got way more seat time now than I ever did my other bikes. I'm also convinced several of my friends who wouldn't ride bikes to buy scooters. So I've got more people to ride with too now. Bad fucking ass. Talk about how to make two wheels fit into your life. Yes. Right? I uh, 70cc's two stroke just brapping the shit out of scooters making them outperform what they're supposed to do. We've got tuning culture here. He's riding out in uh rural areas so there's like a little bit of like touring culture here, but also bringing his wife into it, making it all family style. We've also got that like crazy custom build culture going here where he's taking these bikes and working on them and putting in big bore kits and shit, right? Yeah. There's so much going on here. Uh, This is serious bike culture shit, as far as I'm concerned. Right? You just have to find out what that level is for you, you know? Like, as far as sports bikes go, I found this area where I like, twin cylinder sport bikes with big torque and not necessarily huge horsepower. And I like super smooth tours and I like weird scooters. And I know that that's not the end destination of my journey yet. Right. There's more places to go and more weird things to find. And this guy's like found his thing. Yeah. You know, well, it's, when it comes to motorcycles, when it comes, well, even when it comes to any automotive hobby, you can measure it in miles, hours, or memories. Right. If you've got two out of three, you're winning. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain thing, you know, I've said before, like, you know, like smiles per mile, like, you know, fuck that. I want horsepower. Well, that's true. But 
you you can alter the the triangle of values as well and 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 modify that model but you know the ultimately what it is is there's got to be something in there that impresses you you know power is relative if you've got a 70 cc scooter that makes more power than it has any business having and it's on 10 inch wheels that's the same as having a busa right that that's the same thing as saying, well, you know what impresses me? Fucking horsepower. A 70cc two-stroke that blasts groms is fucking horsepower, right? Yeah. So it, it's all relative. And and I, I love I I would love to have this guy this guy and his wife on together. I'd love to hear her perspective of go, well, he's got the two-stroke, I've got the Honda Elite, like this is what we do, you know. Like, does he pull wheelies on the two-stroke scooter and it pisses her off? I don't know. Like, what what's going on? I want to. I want to hear more about this. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'm in love with this story. It is. It is so dead on what we're always trying to get to. How do bikes fit into your life? This, this is like the best example I've we we've we've been emailed with for certain. And do we have any more emails? Or is that the end of it? That's it. Okay. Well, this has been a long rambling one. So I guess the only thing left to say is um, if you haven't left us a rating review on iTunes or whatever service you listen to this on, what are you doing? It's free. Okay. A couple of my employees start, you know, my, um, sorry. A couple of people that work in my restaurant started an employ uh, started a podcast this last week or so. And you know what I did? I listened to it like a human being. I thought, you know what? This was entertaining. And so I gave it five fucking stars and left a fucking review that I wrote out because you know what? It's free. It's free. It costs moments of your time. So leave us a review. And with that, also, you know, remember that better times are coming soon. The roads are open. Everything's going to be okay before you know it. And you should stay safe and stay tuned. Do you have anything else to add, Swigs? Um, only that if you're underage and you want to buy liquor... At a time when everybody is obligated to wear a mask, this is a great time to steal your older brother's ID. Do with that information what you will. What a irresponsible and awesome message <laughs> to give people. I know we have at least two underage listeners. <laughs> This is a big MotoGP thumbs up <laughs> sort of suggestion. Okay. With that, uh, yeah, stay safe, stay tuned. Keep fighting or fucking the dragon. We'll see you next week. Oh. <laughs> okay. Outro. And I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my pole. 
her side mm -hmm, cold 